Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, John Hendrickson is a senior editor at The Atlantic, and he has a stutter, which he writes about in his new book, Life on Delay. Quote, I understand that my stutter may make you cringe, laugh, recoil. I know my stutter can feel like a waste of time, of yours, of mine, and that it has the power to embarrass both of us. And I've begun to realize that the only way to understand its power is to talk about it. We'll talk with Hendrickson about the power his stutter has had over him and the power it has given him. And we want to hear from you. Has your life been affected by a stutter, yours or someone else's? Tell us about it after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Three years ago, Atlantic senior editor John Hendrickson wrote a piece about then-presidential candidate Joe Biden titled, what Joe Biden can't bring himself to say. It was about Biden's stutter, and the piece went viral. But the story was also personal. Hendrickson is also someone who stutters, and it wasn't something he liked to talk about. But the overwhelming response to his story convinced Hendrickson that he should talk about it. His new book is Life on Delay, Making Peace with a Stutter. John Hendrickson, welcome to Forum. Thank you very much for having me on, Mina. It's an honor. Well, it's an honor to have you on, especially your description of having a stutter made me understand it uh, in a way that I never had before. John, when did your stutter first appear? My stutter first appeared around the age of four, which is very common for a lot of kids. Many of them grow out of it naturally, but a percentage of, of all people will stutter for the rest of their lives. And rather than quote unquote cure it, the best possible thing you can do is learn how to manage it. So as an adult, what are some of the ways that, that you manage it? How does it affect your everyday life, the way that you interact with other people? I mean, it's it's hard because my generation, I'm in my 
early 30s. So millennials, Gen Xers, boomers, all grew up receiving a, for lack of a better word, antiquated type of therapy that was focused primarily on fluency as the only goal. And fluency is just a word for uninterrupted speech. But this is a neurological disorder with a genetic component. And for a lot of people, fluency is unattainable. So many adults who stutter find themselves on this difficult journey of acceptance of, well, I guess I'm going to talk this way for the rest of my life. And that journey is what this book is about. Yeah. A journey that is very much affected by the way that others are receiving you as well. When you stutter, there is a moment in your book when you talk about the look. First, can you tell us what is the look that you get? Well, if there are any people who stutter listening at the moment, then I don't even have to explain the look to you. Because as I write in the book, someone probably gave you the look this morning and a, another person will probably give it to you before you go to bed. It's a mix of judgment, confusion, discomfort, because people who stutter look, quote unquote, normal. They walk into a classroom and they present as any other kid. But the moment that they begin to read out loud, the other kids in the class are like, what's happening? Why is this happening? Where did this come from? Yeah, you've you've written that it's um, it's judgment, it's pity, uh, and you also wrote beautifully about just as you say, you'll see it in the morning and probably before you go to bed at night. But you've written about just how frequently, how often, and and how much it it is a central part of your interactions with others. You write, "I've received the look from parents, priests, school teachers, bosses, friends, and girlfriends." The look stalked playgrounds when I was young, and it was waiting for me behind the bar when I got older. I get it from colleagues and neighbors and strangers at birthday parties. I don't blame them. You may have given someone the look yourself, and I don't blame you. Odds are that you're part of the 99% of the population who don't stutter. But if you're among the 1% of people in the world who do, then I don't need to explain the look to you. We're talking with John Hendrickson, author of Life on Delay, Making Peace with a Stutter. Hendrickson is a senior editor 
with Atlantic Magazine. John, you've said that stuttering can feel like a betrayal. How does it betray you? When your mind and your voice are out of sync with each other, it's a very disoriented feeling. I know every word I'm trying to say right now, but that pathway, that neural pathway from brain down to other parts of the body, you know, moving the air through your lungs, forming words in your voice box and mouth, something gets messed up along that pathway. One theory is it's a dopamine mediator disorder, but there are many other theories. The research is honestly a bit of a mess, and I think that's an area that I try to explore in this book as well. We're learning more and more about this disorder with every passing year. Yeah, it you do make clear how the science on it is still fairly new and being discovered. You've talked about how stuttering is an umbrella term to describe a variety of what you describe as hindrances that can manifest in the sort of rapid fire repetition, or you've also described the unintended, um, you described it as the prolongation in the middle of a word. There was also something else that you described really powerfully, which is blocking. What is blocking? Blocking is dead air on the radio. It's that heavy, powerful silence in which it may seem like one second has elapsed, although that one second can feel like 100 seconds. And a block can last one, two, or three seconds, or a block can last 30 seconds or a minute. And it can leave you gasping for air, can make you feel like you're going to pass out. And this is all while you're trying to say the first letter of a word. And so even once you eventually get that word out, you may block on that next word too. You say that your stutter has given to you, given you a lot. What has it, what has it given you? Great question. It's, it's given me an immense sense of empathy. It's made it much easier for me to identify with other people from all walks of life. It's made me a better listener. It's made me more patient. It's made me resilient and it's humbling 
because right now I'm on the radio talking about my book and that's a cool thing. But right after this, if I go out and order a coffee and the barista throws me the look, then I immediately crash right back down to earth. So it's this roller coaster and it's, it's exhausting being on the roller coaster, but it, it does always, always keep your feet on the ground. I want to invite listeners to join the conversation. Listeners, has your life been affected by a stutter? Um, and when you hear a person stutter, how do you react? And are you rethinking those behaviors as you listen to John Hendrickson? John Hendrickson is senior editor with The Atlantic, also author of the book Life on Delay, Making Peace with a Stutter. You can join the conversation by emailing your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or by calling 866-733-6786. And Daniel writes, my partner of four years is a stutterer. As a fast-paced person, I wanted to jump in and finish his sentences. It took me a long time to stop this practice as I watched him attempt to ask a question and be cut off before he got a chance to answer. I also watched him bravely take a job at Macy's and go in every day knowing that people would judge him. He was a terrific salesman. When the movie A Fish Called Wanda came out, I was one of the few people who did not find it funny to watch the lead character be a stutterer and listen to everyone in the audience laugh at him and his stutter. It is a hard life, and we should learn to be patient. We'll have more with John Hendrickson and with you, our listeners, after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Tomorrow, we'll sit down with Los Angeles Congressmember Adam Schiff. Today, we're here with Atlantic Senior Editor John Hendrickson, who has had a lifelong stutter, but it wasn't something he talked about. Then in 2020, Hendrickson wrote an article about then-presidential candidate Joe Biden's stutter, and the piece went viral, inspiring Hendrickson to publicly identify as a person who stutters. And we're talking with Hendrickson about his new book, 
Life on Delay. And you, our listeners, are sharing your reflections and experiences as well. Kimberly writes, My stutter and seeing a speech pathologist is one of the reasons I am a speech-language pathologist myself. I had constant ear infections in infancy through toddlerhood, which caused a speech delay and stutter. Not saying ear infections cause stuttering. Uh, And my speech-language pathologist was a graduate student at Marquette University. It's because of Miss Heather I wanted to make a difference for kids and know they are not alone when they hear me stutter. Having Joe Biden talk about his stutter and your guest and bringing a sense of normalcy to it, thank you, exclamation mark. Well, I I want to bring into the conversation now Courtney Bird, professor at University of Texas, Austin, and also founder and head of the Arthur M. Blank Center for Stuttering Education and Research. Courtney Bird, welcome to Forum. Thank you for having me. Really glad to have you. And nice to get that comment, too, from uh, from a listener who was helped by someone who works on stuttering. Courtney, tell me, how common is stuttering? How widespread is it? Well, I think, you know, John does an excellent job of providing this information in the book. Just need to say that for the readers, because it truly is one of the best books, I think, that are as out there on stuttering or that I know is. Um, but 1% of the world's population stutters. Um, it's important that people know that that you can find stuttering across every language, culture, uh, location in the world. Um, as I joked with Grace yesterday, the only place you may not find someone who stutters is Antarctica because no one lives there. So unless you stutter and are going to visit, then not likely to find someone. Yeah, that that 1% you talk about translates to some 3 million Americans. And as I got this stat from John's book, 70 million around the world. And of course, you also mentioned uh, Grace, who is the producer for today's segment, Grace One. Um, John was talking about how the science of stuttering is still relatively new. Can you just explain what we are learning about its causes or where it comes from? Well, we know that stuttering is brain-based. We know that we do see structural as as well as um, you know, differences in the structure, as well as the connection across the different hemispheres in the brain. Um, we also see that there is a genetic predisposition. Um, and, and, and what I think is important is also what we don't see. I mean, we know that stuttering is not psychological, as John says um, so clearly in his book, it is, it is neurophysiological, yet there's so much that develops over time in living with stuttering that results in people perceiving it to be psychological in nature. We do have a long way to go, but there are a lot of people working very hard to try to determine um, the different factors that contribute to the etiology. Um, you know, it, it, we see, as I said before, the difference in the brain, genetics, um, and I, I think in the, over the next 10 years, we'll probably find more discoveries. But to think that we're going to find one singular cause, I think, is naive um, because it definitely is multifactorial in nature. Yeah. Is there anything you'd add to that, John, from your research? Dr. Bird is a pioneering therapist in the U.S. and knows more about this than most people. Um, but I think the overarching message is this is not an issue of anxiety. This is not nervousness, insecurity. This is not fear. I could be as relaxed as possible. I could be on the beach in Mexico ordering a Corona 
and I was blocking the sea. It... John, if I can, could I expand on that? Just, that is the stereotype threat just right there. I think it's so important. It's people who don't stutter. Even before when I was speaking, I'm, I'm nervous. It's high stakes. I don't want to, you know, take um, any place from John because this really is, you know, it's, it's about him and the impact that he's having. But I will tell you, people who don't stutter will think of the times when they're nervous and they're anxious and they tend to be more disfluent and they assume that's why the person who stutters is stuttering. The other aspect is also true. Um, when people give the look, the look um, is because they haven't seen stuttering. And so they feel uncomfortable, they feel nervous, they feel anxious, and then they project that onto the person who stutters, even though they may not be feeling that way at all. Yeah. Well, we've got calls coming in. Let me go to Spencer in Santa Clara. Hi, Spencer. You're on. Hey, uh, good morning. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, so uh, I just wanted to share a story about uh, myself growing up. I had a really bad stutter, and I was also very overweight, and I was very subconscious or very uh, insecure about my, you know, my weight. But by far the biggest insecurity was my stuttering, and I got very good at switching the words when I was talking to friends. If I got stuck on something, whatever that was, and coming up with a different word that was a that was, you know, a synonym for that. But whenever I was meeting new people, I would stutter on my name, and you can't switch your name. And I was, and I was so, it was just an awful feeling, feeling like maybe I didn't even know what my name was, and that I was something was wrong with me. And uh, I got, I'm very grateful to have grown out of it. Um, but growing up, it was it was really challenging to you know feel like something was wrong with me. Well, Spencer, thanks. So much for sharing that story. And John, it reminds me of the moment where you write, why didn't my parents name me Michael? <laughs> yes, because to me, at least, M sounds are easier. It's a different mouth formulation than J as in John. But if I were Michael, I'd probably block on the M due to conditioning that happens over time. Nearly every single person who stutters who I've ever met has told me that they stutter on their name more than any other word. Well, thanks again, Spencer. This listener tweets, this makes me consider that our culture values quick reactions and verbal agility and stutterers challenge this with delay. I'm not a stutterer, but verbal communication has been a stumbling block for my whole life. I've also become friends with a brilliant trivia team member who stutters, and I've learned a lot from him about this condition. Um, I want to ask you, John, about the way that speech therapists or others try to quote-unquote treat your stutter what were some of the things that they would ask you to do? And what was some of the messaging that would underlie the kinds of strategies they asked you to employ or the way that they engaged with you? Most therapy has long boiled down to take your time. And there's one strategy called easy onset in which your goal is to ease into the 
worst sound of every word as you talk and you practice that over and over and over again and you're you know manufacturing fluency but you sound like a tired robot and it's incredibly difficult to deploy those techniques in the real world once you leave the the therapy room nobody wants to present themselves as, as artificial people want to be dynamic in conversation yeah very very true i, I want to bring listener brian who is calling in from sacramento brian what would you like to share you're on i just wanted to say that um, I can relate to what the gentleman is saying. I more so, um, I guess, more fit under the umbrella of stuttering. Um, they said that I have um, local dystonia or my face muscles and my neck muscles freeze when I'm speaking. And the voluntary movement disorder, um, Tourette's, <laughs> constrictions and spasms. Um, also, in my thoughts, <laughs> it, I understand the like thing or where the stuff doesn't come. Um, we're trying to speak, and my um, disabilities are more pronounced. Like when you hear that pulling. That's my diaphragm, they said, is actually yanking down. And it's, um, yeah, basically, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, and I burn, uh, I can't last all day. And yeah, when you go in the public and you're dealing with people, I definitely can understand what you're saying. You can be fine and be having a good day. But then that person will give you a look. Or laugh at you when they can definitely tell there's something not normal, but it's like that's just not as funny. Um, I didn't mention it, but I won't go into details, but it's very important when it comes to things like especially like medical and stuff like that, that we have people that are patiently listening to us and trying to assist us. Well, recently I was assaulted just because I couldn't keep up with the conversation, even though I had already stated what was needed to be stated for me to be boy, boy, but, um, and this is very hard. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Um, like my thoughts, uh, you know, they come and go. Um, you know, I just have my two plus two doesn't always. Before I try the best I can. But, um, you know, just, I didn't definitely just relate to what he's saying. I wasn't like this. Uh, you know, I had a on-work, on-the-job stroke when I was 31. Then I was in a bad car accident when I was 36. Uh, mm. So, um, it is a daily, a daily struggle. Um, you know, most people don't. Um, they just kind of move too fast and don't have time to slow down and um, just 
I guess appreciates the differences in other people. Yeah. Um, and that's honestly the, and it also has a problem too when you call in the companies that you have services from. It's hard to communicate, and yeah. you uh, try to talk about you know the clear and concise communication with companies with the ADA, and it's like all that stuff falls to the wayside. Well, um, Brian. I, first of all, I am so sorry you were assaulted. That just sounds horrific. I I so appreciate that you appreciate this conversation, but I also so appreciate your description and story uh, that you've shared with us in, in such an incredible way. It's such a great description of of the experience that that you have. And John, I don't know if this is this is probably a little bit different than what Brianna is describing, but you write about what you call secondary behaviors um, related to stuttering. And I'm wondering if you can explain that a little bit. When you're young, you learn that moving other parts of your body can help you push through bad blocks. It's almost like a temporary distraction for your brain. To be honest, right now as I'm talking to you, I'm tossing a pen back and forth in my hands. And that probably doesn't do anything like it used to when I was a kid, but it's become muscle memory. It's become a tick I have. And I've tried to wean myself off it, but in certain high stress situations, I find myself doing it, like being on the radio. Just one other major secondary behavior would be loss of eye contact. Most people who stutter look down or look away when they begin to block because avoiding the look. Well, the sister writes, it just occurs to me that in my limited experience around people who stutter, they have all been male. Are there statistics that define occurrence, male versus female? Courtney, do you have any insight on that? Yeah, the, the statistics are about every every four males to every one female who stutter. And we also see that um, you know females are more likely to naturally recover from stuttering um, if, if it, they have it at onset. Uh, in childhood. And so and um, that's why you see the difference. Dr. Bird, I'm curious about how we approach stuttering today in, mm-hmm. in your world with regard to this, this notion of helping people to communicate or helping people to manage their stutter, but also ensuring that, which I think is the way that the approach is trying to evolve, that having a stutter is okay. Yes, I, I. This is a critical point, and I think it's it's 
um, something that, you know, you might think because we're talking it on, about it on the radio that everybody understands it's okay to stutter and that therapy only focuses on acceptance. But the vast majority of therapy that children and adults receive actually target fixing the condition, just as John reported that he experienced in 1992. And it's been an uphill uphill struggle to get um, the profession to understand that, you know, um, the data simply are not there. Um, and to John's point earlier, um, you know, fluency um, is not, from fluency, you don't gain the authenticity of your voice. Um, in fact, from fluency, you also don't gain, in, you know, an improvement in your overall quality of life because it's a false way of talking. But in our therapy um, that we, we provide at the Blank Center, we actually prepare young children for the look. We have them look for it. We have them understand that there are people who will be ignorant towards stuttering and therefore they will behave ignorantly. That's an opportunity for you to teach, to teach them about stuttering. And so rather than, you know, not talking about it and having those feelings uh, of guilt and then what turns into shame, um, you know, creep in over time, as John so eloquently shares in his book, um, we prevent, we do everything that we can to prevent that from happening. Um, and I think that you can do it, but you can't do it if you tell someone it's okay to stutter, but let's try to stutter less. It's okay to stutter, but let's try to speak just a little bit more fluently or stutter a little more easily. It's a contradiction that even the youngest children understand. Yeah. Dr. Courtney Bird, again, is professor in the Department of Speech, Language, and Hearing Sciences at UT Austin, also founder and executive director of the Arthur M. Blank Center for Stuttering Education and Research. John Hendrickson is senior editor with Atlantic Magazine and author of Life on Delay, Making Peace with a Stutter. And that's what we're talking about today, living with a stutter through the experiences of John and also you, our listeners, join us with your reflections, your reactions, your stories. Email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. More after the break. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with John Hendrickson this hour, who's written a new book called Life on Delay, Making Peace with a Stutter. Hendrickson is senior editor with Atlantic Magazine. Also with us is Dr. Courtney Bird, professor in the Department of Speech, Language, and Hearing Sciences at UT Austin, also founder of the Blank Center for Stuttering Education and Research. You, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your thoughts and reflections about stuttering. And Beryl writes, thank you for educating us about this. I will try to use this approach to learn how to stop interrupting people. Um, John, we've been listening to some some songs that you have talked about as being your your fave, some of your your favorites throughout your book, Life on Delay. And you know, you also talk about how you don't stutter when you sing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and, and what you've learned about why that is? Well, Grace, your producer has been making my day with these music choices. You know, a little bit ago, we just heard a bit of Marky Moon by television, which I reference in the book talk about the first moment I ever hear that song in college and prior to that Grace played Gold Sounds by Pavement which was on the jukebox the night that I met my wife and the reason those are in the book among many other songs you know that Gold Sounds for example contains a lyric you can never quarantine the past. And that is kind of a big message of this whole book. But I'm rambling a little bit because I'm excited. And the reason is that with all this is that music is a balm. It's an escape for so many people who, people who stutter because singing relies on a different neural pathway than the one that we use in conversation. Many, many famous singers are or were people who stutter. Kendrick Lamar, Noel Gallagher, Oasis, Elvis Presley, Carly Simon, Bill Withers, Ed Sheeran, it just goes on and on and on. And Dr. Bird might be able to comment on the brain chemistry part of that. But kudos to Grace on these music choices. Yeah, yeah. Grace definitely selected the music and uh, shout out to our engineer who is just playing them at the at the moments in our show today um, that are really giving it so much. And, and I want to actually ask you about that, that Courtney, what is happening when we sing or even act uh, drama has been also mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. something that has shown to be very effective in terms of people being able to um, communicate uh, in ways that are, are different than the everyday interactions uh, of living with a stutter. Well, um, you know, when, when you're singing, 
um, you, as John said, you are using a different neural pathway. You know, language is primarily um, generated within the left hemisphere. When you're singing, you rely more on your right hemisphere. Um, and you you're have the melody, the intonation. Um, you also have the words. It's very rare, and even John writes about this in his book, you know, you're, you're, you know the words you're going to say. And so you're basically preloading. It's similar in the sense with acting, though that doesn't, it's, it's not, again, 100% the case for every person who stutters. Uh, but when you are acting, you know, many times you're using a different accent, you're using a different pace of speech, and you also know the words that you want to say rather than spontaneously generating them. Let me go to caller Cynthia in Oakland. Hi, Cynthia, you're on. Yes, um, thank you. Um, so um, I guess I should say I'm a former stutterer, although I do stutter occasionally. Um, but I'm very intrigued. I haven't read John's book, uh, Life on Life on Hold. I think I have the correct title. On delay, uh, yeah. My life, my life has been on hold because of the stuttering. And I was always attracted to public speaking. And uh, I, was, uh, I was in the debate league when I was in high school, and I was stuttering along, giving my... Um, arguments. Uh, later on, I uh, started law school. Uh, but when I was um, doing moot court, one of my professors at a well-renowned college in the Bay Area, won't mention the name, said, Cynthia, how are you going to be an attorney if you stutter like that? Now, like that was about, I was probably in my mid-30s. Um, by temperament, I'm a very persistent person, and I felt, you know, the stuttering, even as, at a young age, was like a noose around my neck. Mm. And uh, what I've done, and I don't know exactly what I've done, I did go to a program similar to what John was talking about, the Hollins Institute, uh, where you, you are basically repatenting your speech and I found that very artificial. Uh, I do have currently still some ticks. I tend to um, tend to rock a little, <laughs> and I certainly don't do eye contact. And I'm on Zoom meetings, but I'm always looking down because I'm always concerned that I will stutter, and sometimes I do, but the blocks are not as um, you know they're not as difficult as they were. And I don't know if John had this um, experience, but when I was really a stutterer back when I was younger, uh, I would have to think about the sixth word down the road and figure, oh, if I get to, I, I would have to figure out a word to substitute for that word about five or six words down because I didn't want to get into a block. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of energy people use, you know, to avoid stuttering. But the thing I do want to say is that um, uh, I am going to go back to law school. I may be the oldest student, but, uh, um, but uh, yeah, I, well, I, uh, I just wish that um, this is a I, – I never considered myself disabled. I don't want to put that yeah. label on me. Uh, but – People are very smart, 
that stutter. They have things to offer, and I may not be saying it in the most eloquent fashion, but uh, we are not disabled. Uh, we just have a neuro- neurological, I guess, uh, I don't want to use the word deficit, but impairment perhaps. I, I, I don't know, but... Uh, yeah. It's very it's very nuanced, Cynthia, as as we've been learning from from John and the way that we publicly identify. But I also just want to wish you the best of luck in law school. And and thank you so much for the call. I do want to ask you quickly, and maybe Cynthia's comment is reminding me of this, John, but our listeners probably do remember your piece in 2020 on candidate Joe Biden. And at the core of it was his inability, or at least this is what you really honed in on for your piece, his inability to admit he still fights a stutter, not just that he had it as a kid. And I'm wondering what you think is at the core of this or what you determine through your reporting may be at the core of this. I think it's a generational thing. Biden came of age in mid-century America. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Beat it or bust. Never complain, never explain. Biden was mocked and taunted by Catholic school nuns. Biden did a mix of his own therapy at home. And I believe he he got some childhood therapy, but I can't recall the exact details at this moment. So I don't want to miss a state anything. But the approach that Biden grew up with as a kid, as a teenager, and through college was totally antithetical to the approach that Dr. Bird and some of her progressive colleagues in the field practice. Yeah. The other thing I think reminded me of Biden was also Cynthia describing different word choices to try to substitute a word in that you know you might struggle with. And you really feel like those are the moments, those are the tells when you're listening to Biden that he still fights the stutter. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you reacted to the fact that the reaction of the public and even a lot of media headlines was to significantly question his mental fitness and use those moments as examples. Biden does an excellent job managing the existence of the stutter. And he's out there every day talking and he's as public as a person can get. I as he's gotten older, he doesn't necessarily manage it as deftly as he may have in his 30s or 40s or 50s. 
then he often appears to word switch or display other manifestations of stuttering, like rapid blinking, looking down, moments in which he's in which he appears to be trying to avoid a block and keep the sentence going even if it wanders off somewhere but biden's neurological disorder his genetic neurological disorder of a stutter is not a get out of jail free card it's not a catch-all there are plenty of moments in which he mixes up a name or factor place like any other 80 year old man right yeah um well let me just remind listeners that we are talking with john hendrickson his new book is life on delay and you are listening to forum i mean akim and let me go to caller anthony in san francisco hi anthony thanks for waiting Go ahead. Hey, first of, first of all, I wanted to thank you um, and John both for bringing this, this subject out. I've stuttered my whole life. Um, and the one thing that I wanted to let, let folks know is don't say slow down, speak slower. That, that doesn't work. If you stutter, you stutter. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's about it. But well, thank Anthony, thanks. so much thanks. for bringing this, this topic up. I appreciate that. Well, thanks so much for calling in and also making that point. Another listener writes, I may have missed the beginning, but could your presenters explain besides being compassionate and patient, is there anything we might be able to say to put the person that stutters more at ease? And I think it's so important to teach children very early on about the different challenges that people have, whether that's stuttering, vision issues, whatever it may be. I imagine you've been asked this before, John. What is something you tend to say? People mean well, and you have to give everyone the, the benefit of the doubt. People are trying to help. They're trying to make you more comfortable. But no person with any sort of disability wants your pity. So my answer to this is always talk to a person who stutters just as you would literally any other person just try to hold eye contact, wait for them to finish and, you know, don't give them a little pat on the head. Don't treat them extra nice and don't treat them extra mean either. Just treat them like a normal person. What would you say? Talk to Bird. Yeah. Dr. Bird, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I, the only thing that I would add is, you know, don't finish their sentences because even if you know the exact word that they're going to say and you think that you're helping, um, take a moment to think, are you really helping them or are you helping yourself because you're uncomfortable and you want to escape? I also um, appreciate the caller who shared that we should be teaching children at a very young age. Um, there is, you know, there's responsibility on the part of the speaker and the listener in a conversation. And so we want young children to learn to make that eye contact during the moment of study. So to also convey to the person that they're speaking to um, both implicitly and explicitly that they're okay with the way that they talk and um, that they, the listener should be as well. 
Well, Mark writes, today's interview with John Hedrickson has been heartwarming, heartbreaking, and so vital. I am a lifelong stutterer, though not as impacted as John. Friends have often asked me to write about it, but John has done this beautifully, and people like me finally feel heard, no pun intended. I would love to be able to tell others how to listen to this very important interview. Is there a replay podcast or another way? I bought this book when it was dropped today, and I'm halfway through it. Amazing. Many stutters will hesitate to call into a show where they would have to talk but thank you so much for doing it. Yes, this broadcast replays at 10 p.m. Pacific time, and it will be archived online as well and also as a podcast. And thank you, Mark, for that comment. Um, so, John, last question. You write about a drug in the form of a dopamine blocker. It, it's it's something that's actually being developed, I believe, by a Californian and I would encourage people to read more about it uh, in Life on Delay. But I guess the core question I wanted to ask you is, would you take it if it's approved by the FDA? My answer to that question has changed over time. As a kid, as a teenager, as a college, a student, I would have taking it in a heartbeat. Now, I don't think I would take it. My stutter has become woven into my identity for better or worse, but I'm able to live a full life with it. And I feel very, very lucky and grateful to be married, to have full-time employment, to have great family, great friends. But not everybody has that. And so maybe Phil is an answer then. Well, John Hendrickson, thank you. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. 
New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.